Maybe take a step away from fuck buttons to focus on you uh, mm-hmm. specifically. Before Tarot Sport came out, but after Street Horsing, mm-hmm. you released the first solo album by Blank Mass. Right. Title Blank Mass. In terms of your own individual musical aspirations, what was going on in your life at, at that time? Yeah, I was in London. Um, we we toured extensively um, after Tarot Sport. I think we just toured with the Pixies, and we had not stopped touring for two years. You know, we we were we were pretty fatigued at this time. Actually, touring so much, I had, in my own time, I had been writing this um, blank mass music. We, we, Andy and I had been discussing, we had, we had to, we had to take a break from touring because I mean, it does, it does grind you down, especially after two years nonstop. And, you know, we had the conversation, Andy was like ready to take a bit of time off. Absolutely no issue there. Can't say I blame him. I was feeling it too. But, you know, I, I had this, um, blank mass music written at the time and I said, I'm going to want to release this then if we're going to take a little bit of time out before the next album because I need to keep myself busy and keep myself occupied. So that's really what happened there. Um, obviously, as I'm sure you're aware, my friend Mog- Mogwai you know, expressed an interest in putting it out. And at the time, I wasn't going to be playing live. It was just going to be a studio release. But once you do something like that, you're always going to get asked to play some shows. And I just kind of slipped into doing it that way. Um, See the touring at that time, how were things? Did you feel isolated or were you feeling quite comfortable? Well, I think it was at a time, you know, that was a very exciting time for us to be able to do this. You know, this is when it became like a legitimate career just due to the nature of what I do. I mean, I still tour a lot. Um, it, it is difficult to to see family and, and stuff very much. Sarah Jane is very understanding. But yeah, it, it is it is difficult. And you do get road weary and yeah. What were your parents' attitudes to your music early on? They were, they were both very, very proud actually that I could, you know, legitimately do something creative as a, as a career. Yeah. Both very supportive. They came to, you know, they come to a, whichever shows they could. And even if they didn't necessarily understand it or like <laughs> it, they still, uh, they, they still would like turn up. The, the there's a track on um, Taro Sport which is after ne- which is actually named after the Japanese prisoner of war ship that my granddad was on. Um, oh, really? Is that yeah. the Lisbon Maru? Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
He actually survived um, the, the bombing of the Lisbon Maru. He was uh, trapped at sea. He was stranded at sea for two weeks or something. And um, it was just him and one other, one other soldier who convinced him not to drink the seawater. I mean, you, you talked about your folks being proud. I mean, it must have been staggering when Sundowner from the first album was used in the Olympic opening ceremony. Even even just financially, I mean, the, how big a shot in the arm was that? Definitely some kind of validation that I wasn't necessarily looking for, but it doesn't it doesn't hurt, does it? You know? Yeah. Um, it must have given them some awesome bragging rights. I mean, yeah, you can for sure. Being at I the mean, pub that night and just yeah. being like, oh, that's that's my son's song." By the way, yes, yeah. The, the Philharmonic Orchestra is playing as the the, U, the UK team comes in there. Yeah, I mean, at, at, like mo- most key points actually in the in the thing. Yeah. yeah. Whenever there was a torch or a flag or, you know. Did it give you some financial relief, allow you some autonomy and a little bit of, like, room to breathe in terms of deciding what you were going to do with your life, where you were going to go with a career at that at that moment? It did, but um, I was kind of... It, I was kind of on a... Uh, like, my working process and habits were such by that point that it didn't mean that I had time off if you know what I mean. Yeah. It just allowed uh, me to, you know, maybe not couch surf anymore. You know, for me, it was a, 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 like, you know, a, a personal victory, I guess, yeah. of, of some description. It's, yeah. al- it's also interesting that it sort of showcases that you come from, like, an alternative music background. You mm. are clearly love noise and mm-hmm. being very loud, but you obviously have this artistic way of connecting on a like a mass appeal as well, like melodically. Well, I'm, I'm ge- I guess it does prove that. Although you know, it, like I, I do have to check myself when somebody says something like that to me because it does feel so like self-involved and insular what I do. Yeah, you're just gonna have to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, 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 David's right though. I think there is something that for all that you were making a lot of racket and doing a lot of unconventional things and running about with bits of washing machines in your head and screaming at folk and getting bars shut down or whatever, you're also, there's something melodic uh, and accessible in the music you're producing that can literally get on the biggest broadcast on the planet. Mm-hmm. And that's that's pretty fascinating. I mean, by the yeah. way, to the, to the credit of the people that chose it as well, it's 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 a, an, an inspired and interesting selection. They could easily have gone for something far more obvious. But they didn't, and mm-hmm. I think that's uh, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. You know, I will add, by the way, I don't actually think Sundowner's the best song on that album, and that's meant as a compliment, because yeah, yeah, yeah. as good as it is, I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of other great points in it. Um, actually, the first track I heard by Blank Mass Full Stop was the track Chernobyl right. that follows that. And I hope you forgive me because I mean this in a positive way. And David will, <laughs> uh, David will be my backup here. Let's try. Because Christopher's <laughs> insults. I've, I've, I've written, I've written down the three words: moments of Moby. Right. 
<laughs> well, I know, you know. I mean, that's always a compliment from Chris. Is somehow shoehorning Moby into it. I, but, uh-huh. I, I, I don't mean it in the sense of like play. I mean in the sense of there's a softness and a sweetness to Chernobyl, even though it's really sad. Mm-hmm. It's it's so gentle the way it arrives and the way that the different themes uh, appear in it. Um, I also think, given some of the records that you mentioned in the build up to this, mm-hmm. it showcases some of your love of bands like Stars of the Lid. Yeah. Um, you can start to see that stuff really appearing. And this was something that I only really became introduced to because you had mentioned them and we obviously started listening to them for this. Yeah. Um, I think I, I think I've maybe mentioned this before. The track What You Know mm-hmm. on that I think is stunning. Like, oh, it it is an epic. It's, it's, it's an epic song. I mean, was it 10, 11 minutes long? Do you know what? I, I was just going to say, I think that may have been the longest track that I have yeah. in any f- recorded yeah. output, I think. Yeah. It's about 13 and a half minutes. If is it as long as that? I mean, I wrote the phrase sonic maximalism. It's, mm-hmm. it's full on, but it, it's beautifully tempered. It really sets the scene for a lot of stuff that you do as Blank Mask gets more of, like, involved and more you know, saturated and more and busier. I think that chord change in, in what you know is a strangely prescient moment of music. And then, you know, the way that it finishes with the five minutes or so of uh, arpeggiator as well. Yeah, I think it's the first example of any kind of rhythm-based stuff in Blank Mass too, yeah, actually. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and as you mentioned, White Math, uh, which is part of a White Math polymorph, uh, was it a 12-inch? It's a 12, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough as well, because one of the things you've done with Blank Mass uh Distinct from Fuck Buttons, which has had a fairly consistent... Okay, there was a step from Street Horse into Taro Sport, but it's had a fairly consistent sound and sort of general makeup. Um, but with Blank Mass, you have shifted drastically between some of the records from mm-hmm. genre to genre, from black metal to like anarcho-punk almost, mm-hmm. like some kind of industrial anarcho-punk, to, you know, ambient, to full-on electro, mm-hmm. um, to like... like it, Almost power electronics again. It, mm. Some some of the parts of things. White math polymorphs really interesting because it, it's electro. Like it's it's a marked change in direction from that first album. Yeah, and I I don't know how you feel about it. I think it's. I use the word advisedly. It's a little bit primitive, mm-hmm. but very, very strong. It's quite stripped back, but melodically mm. and structurally really holds up. Um, I mean, how, how do you look back in that record? Is that one of the ones you can't listen to, or does it feel okay? No, actually, you know, I I do feel okay about that one. I, it was it was built for a purpose. I think you know I wanted to make a club track. Yeah. Did it feel like a risk when you did it? Because it stylistically, it seems. I like didn't really have anything to lose though at the time. I don't think, and I still don't think I necessarily do. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, it, it, it's when all... you say that, do you feel like with Black Mass, you just have full creative freedom to do whatever the fuck you want? Then, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's you know, I don't have anybody else to answer to. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. you know, within within reason. Do you think your management are quite? Accommodating of of your artistic choices and directions are pretty supportive when you do something like, for example, odd scene. Yeah, 
That must be quite liberating. Yeah, for sure, yeah. I'm just curious, were any of those tracks ever sort of floated as demos for Fuck Buttons or were they always your own and you kept them as your own? With with fuck buttons, we did we we did have to implement this rule that if like both of us weren't present at the inception or like jamming stage of a track, then it then it's not a fuck buttons track because otherwise like the lines get blurred and it gets a little bit too difficult to differentiate what belongs to whom. Yeah, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So that was like one rule we always had. Um, so anything, no matter how it sounded that I did on my own, was, was and is blank mass. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you followed that with Hellion Earth. Mm-hmm. What was Hellion Earth? Was that just a single? That was just a single, actually, um, that I released. Uh, was, was that just mastered by the Hackson Cloak? Just oh, for, really? just for yeah. Were you, were you were you releasing that to just sort of maintain a bit of momentum, or was it something that you really wanted out? It was it was moment it was a momentum thing, and also just to keep myself occupied. You know, I felt like it was um, something I could share, so I did. Two thousand and thirteen is when Slow Focus came out. Now I'm just going to ask: of Slow Focus and Tarot Sport, what do you prefer? Slow Focus. Okay. By a stretch, I think. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. What, it's, what is it, about? I, I, it's more in keeping with what I. I'm interested in, if you know what I mean. It te- it it definitely takes a it, the approach is darker, and I, I think it's the closest to Blank Mass actually out of all the fuck buttons. Well, I was going to say you've just been yes. you've just released three Blank Mass things in a row between uh-huh. the, the last couple of years before that. Mm. Do you think the Blank Mass work you were doing was now informing what you were doing with fuck buttons? I think so to a certain degree. Yeah, decision wise, for sure. You know, I I feel like. Um, Andy would always say that slow focus had the sound it did because, you know, it was a difficult time. You know, it was a bit of a um, an odd period there for, for the band. You know, we were, um, I, I, I wouldn't say there were any external pressures, but I, I believe there probably were without even realising it. And there was a, um, a, a sense of responsibility, I think, there, which I, I think personally I was maybe rebelling against that with the sounds and I think Andy was rebelling against it too in his own way as well I think I prefer it as well as, as an overall album as much as I do like Tarot Sport it's the first time that things took a malevolent turn and yes. I, I mean there are malevolent or there are heavy moments in, in uh, Tarot Sport but in Slow Focus they're actually more so than just heavy they're malevolent mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's a sinister air about the record in general I mean not just in you know the titles of things like Stalker but I think uh, <laughs> musically as well I mean the most prominent example in that album for me is The Red Wing Which I think again yeah. is an inflection point in in the history of the stuff you've done. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a it's another level of heaviness, but also ominous in a way that things maybe hadn't been up to that point. The thing is, it's it's, it's a song that, whilst largely electronic, I mean, I'm assuming the guitars, as you said, they came back for this album, they were in there somewhere. Yeah, but it stands up there with doom metal. That's pretty fascinating for a band that was becoming known as an electronic band. Mm-hmm. 
Do you think it's a conscious thing or is it just a, something that you just naturally drifted into? And were you both along for that ride equally or was this one more than the other? No, I think we were both along for the ride equally. Um, you know what it's like as well when you're in a, it, like being in a band with two people in it, it's like, as with any relationship, sometimes things are going to get a little fractious. And I feel like that was maybe um, an amplifier for the overall sound on this record. Right, okay. To me, I, I feel like if you can embrace that stuff and channel it through the correct, you know, outlets, then it, it, it's worked like, you know, it's therapy, it's good. Um, and I, I, I personally think that um, it's it's the best one we, we've done as Fuck Button. So I don't know whether Andy would agree. And I don't think it's necessarily the one that was received the most acclaim but it it's to me it's it's the strongest like mm. by a stretch i think i think one of the remarkable things about the song red wing in particular is that it's a track that you do not think can get any heavier and it manages to keep getting heavier mm-hmm. and i think you find nooks and crannies in the spectrum of of the sound to fill That's that's a really startling aspect of that because it really does feel like it's peaked and then it pushes more. That's an interesting point, actually. That was I think slow focus was when it was around the same time that Andy and I had both started to either actively pursue or consider production for other people and also producing a record on our own. And I think our sensibilities with regarding uh, the space in between sounds was maybe more fine-tuned by this point. So there was a lot of lot more space to play with, if that, you see what I mean. That process seems like it really set you up well for the Blank Mass stuff that was to yeah. follow, which mm-hmm. was saturated in the extreme at, at, at times. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, not to say, though, there's other much more subtle and nuanced moments on the, the album that don't lose any of that atmosphere. I think either the dog is very earnestly electro. Mm-hmm. Um, for one of the first times, like it just seems like you've, you've shorn a lot of the noise influence and it's become like quite focused. Um, I, th- I think a really standout track on that and something that David and I were, were commenting on earlier and on the way here as well Stalker the, the, the level of uh, 80s sort of noir that, that comes into that that song is stunning. I mean, this is, I, I'm just coming off the back of watching like a binge of eighties um, kind of classic movies, and that the kind of the James Cameron influence, which we'll, we'll, we'll mention him later on, but <laughs> in, in the thing in particular, uh-huh. that kind of echoing baseline that you've got in it, yeah. Um, and it seems like you're laying out a bit of a roadmap for maybe doing film scoring. I yeah, I that's one of my favourites actually on on that record. We only played that, I think maybe we played that about a handful of times, but it it, it had the best, um, I think that was when I, I really felt like I was probably 
like emotionally invested in fuck buttons mm-hmm. since this kind of like mood shift. Yeah, it, do, it does seem like there's a real emotional outlet in that tune. Mm. Uh, Hidden Excess as well, the, the final track in that album, I think as well, is one that stands out for the amount of emotional content that you mm-hmm. start being able to put into it. It's a really interesting stage in the development of the band, um, albeit I say interesting stage in the development of the band in the sense that it to this stage is the the last of the band, mm-hmm. as far as we know. Yeah, and, and I'm sure you are sick to the back teeth of being asked in interviews what's happening with the next fuck button record. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's something you get asked a lot. Yeah, it's inevitable. It happens all the time. <laughs> what's happening with the next fuck button record? <laughs> <laughs> Chris, you're such an arsehole. Uh, <laughs> Um, how did the how did the roles in fuck buttons change as you see it um, between the start and the end? Did they even change? I, I don't mean in terms of like behind the scenes. I mean musically. Was it more apparent that one member was going in one direction, one member was taking other duties, and they combined? But yet you had a, a stronger individual personality, or do you feel the balance of roles and contributions stayed very similar? To be honest. By the time we got to slow focus, I think Andy was more focused on beats than I was more focused on the synths. Which um, is interesting because you said, like, and, for example, on the and, street horse and a lot of the percussion was you. Yes, yeah. So there was a bit of a shift there. Yeah, Andy was uh, definitely more... <clears throat> I think around the time of slow focus, Andy got very interested in techno. Um, so I feel like that was maybe where his head was at. At the time, so yeah, maybe the role, maybe the musical roles did shift a little bit. That's not to say that you know we didn't share the roles to a certain degree, which we always did. But I, I definitely feel like there is, there was a kind of um, more kind of like laid out just for ease of like getting into the studio together and know what was um, going to happen every time we did I, I feel like that it w- the roles w- did seem a little bit more scripted like this a more time natural around. division of labor that yeah i think so yeah without even really being spoken about actually yeah. yeah so when did the move from london to edinburgh happen because we were on we're, in, we're not in edinburgh we're on the outskirts of edinburgh but um, yeah i mean forgive me for saying it, it seems somewhat counterintuitive for somebody that's like riding a wave mm-hmm. uh, very you guys were whether you like it or not i guess Quite hip, sought after. I'd imagined for shows, mm-hmm. tours, as you've mentioned. What what inspired that move? Uh, uh, I I don't feel like I needed to necessarily be in London anymore. Actually, I, uh, you know, I, by by this point, I was touring all all over the place. When I was playing in London, it was during an album campaign, or like uh, you know, I wasn't playing every week. And I actually um the first fuck button show we played in Edinburgh, I believe was at the liquid rooms. And I, you know, as we were driving in, I, I, I'd kind of already decided in my mind within about 15 minutes that I wanted to live in Scotland. You know, we, we always at that show. Yes, that was the one. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my nexus in uh, last week. Right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, that was the one. (laughs) Fucking hell. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, so I already decided that I wanted to live here. And as it happened, Sarah Jane was born in Edinburgh, so she kind of gravitated towards it as well when we decided we wanted to leave London. What was it like 
in London at that point with you guys being in such high demand and being kind of on everybody's lips or every every kind of pitchfork journey it, pitchfork journalist sort of lips you know that kind of stage of cutting edge you just weren't cutting edge you were you were you were both doing well but credible and that's a hard balance to get when so many bands that are either credible don't get recognised or they're doing well but they're lame as fuck and you guys had struck this really enviable balance is it fatiguing? did you find the lifestyle of being in the middle of London too much temptation to just go out was there any sort of aspect of that in your lifestyle that, that caused you to leave or do you think it was what do you mean like go out down the grouch quote the whole <laughs> fucking time <laughs> is that what you're saying he's know. asking if you were go taking be- hundreds of ching at the Dorchester yeah, right. or hanging out, <laughs> hanging out with the Beckhams I don't know no <laughs> that's never a, a concern or even a thing come on so was that before Dumb Flesh came out that you moved up to Edinburgh Yes, it was. Dumb Flash was written in three different places, actually. I started to write it when I was living in Dalston in East London. Um, Sarah Jane and I moved to her mum's for six months or something whilst we were trying to save enough money to move up here. Um, And in that time, I um, commandeered the attic in her house, which had no natural light. And I wrote <laughs> some of Dumb Flesh there. And then the rest of it was written in our first house in Edinburgh City Centre, which we which we rented for a while when we first moved up here before we found this place. So, I mean, like, the, the geographical spread is quite, is quite wide. Yeah. And that came out in 2015? Considering what Blank Mass had started as... <clears throat> It was now this very structured, very focused, very technically accomplished project. I read a, a review of it, and I think it was Drowned in Sound, that had a really excellent turn of phrase that uh, the album allures and repels in equal measure. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really, even just in the artwork, you know, I think you've mm-hmm. clearly embraced that. There, there's, a, there's a slightly unnerving, icky quality to mm-hmm. that record in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like Loam, for example, the opening track. Unnerving vocal loop, the build up, that even the frequencies you've chosen are, are, are quite difficult. Mm-hmm. Did you see Blank Mask going in that structured direction, or is that something that happened quite uh, of its own accord? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the the thing that I'd done previously um, as Blank Mass was very structured, like extremely rigid. It was even more like Lego than Fuck Buttons, even potentially. So it wasn't a new idea to me, but I definitely, I, I wanted it to be something that, as you say, I, I wanted to have something to cling on to uh, regarding rhythm. I just started to just started to write it and you know a lot like as I was going along these things started to materialize I mean I never have any idea about what something is going to be before I start working on it apart from perhaps white math polymorph because I did want to make something for a specific purpose there but dumb flesh and everything I've done since has been so um so much like a mixtape with regards to like the sonics and you know the variation within uh, you know from track to track that I mean I would never be able to imagine that beforehand 
dead format for me is another of those kind of inflection points that I talked about in your progress. Markers of something significant is coming together here. Mm-hmm. And that's a very good example of a whole bunch of ingredients emerging at once. I don't know, Dead Format sounds to me like a song that Fuck Buttons could never have done because it requires quite a singular vision. Not the sort of democratic compromise that might come from being in a duo, but the ability mm-hmm. to power ahead with an idea to its conclusion. Even though it's really quite extreme in its own way, it's also the song that uh, certainly a lot of people I know clicked on to Blank Mass via. I think it was the first time when I actually thought that maybe Blank Mask can do exactly what Fuck Buttons does now, mm. actually. I think it was also the first um, use of the heavily bastardised, chopped and screwed vocal. That is actually a really significant part of mm-hmm. that project. And yeah. I, I think you, you're you aware of that, yeah? It's been yes. a very yeah, distinct yeah, yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. I, was trying to, I was trying to describe that technique to somebody. And the best way I could think of articulating it is it's like an audio ransom note. Right. It's like you have <laughs> you have hacked to bits all these other words mm-hmm. and different vocal samples and reassembled them into something intelligible. Well, that's, a, that's essentially what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, and it, it's at the point where like some of your vocals they they sound like synths, and then some of your synths then mm-hmm. sound like vocals, and it's like totally blurs that line between yeah. your normal instrumentation and vocal line. That's a nice way of looking at it. I so, appreciate that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And we were speaking about this as well. I think we've maybe mentioned it in past episodes. Actually, no matter how good the instrumentation a track is. There is a quality and a relatability that comes from even just hearing a human voice, mm-hmm. even if that human voice isn't actually saying words, or you actually find you actually you involuntarily interpret words into sounds. I mean, I always end up making my own words. There is, up a, for there is a phrase for that, yeah. by the way, that I haven't uh, been able to remember, where you hear unintelligible sounds and see, and turn them into words. And turn them into words. Yeah. yeah, that in itself draws you in. It, it, I think just there must be some very primal part of like human uh, comprehension that makes you relate to things when you hear a human vocal. Yeah. And I, I do think post-rock, as great as it is, there is an element that comes from having that ingredient in there. And I think you, you see that as Blank Mask goes on. Yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm dealing with such like uh, an emotionally bleak subject matter. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a welcome relief, I think, to, to be able to... Um, Cling on to something human in something in 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 a, in a space that's so seemingly in, inhumane. I guess. I always feel like Double Cross, the sixth track, was basically like a kind of rapey version of Erasure. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Put like a, a nicer twist than that. Um, how about uh, maybe Depeche Mode scoring Outrun the game? Okay, like that. Right, yeah, is, that, yeah. is that better? Is that more palatable? 
Quite often people will say that that particular track has a game show feel to it. <laughs> we were talking about some of the, the game some show the, vibes. Some of the game yeah. show vibes, yeah. Why are game shows so goddamn dramatic? Yeah, or melodramatic? It, was like, it was like game show themes. You are like, going to play the game! You listen to the Crystal Maze. We oh man, we were talking about that. It's fucking How does it that... go again? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they were really intense about I, that shit. Really intense. Yeah. I did the I did the Crystal Maze live experience in Manchester oh, last year. Did. It's fucking amazing. But yeah, I bet I it is. Highly man. recommend. It's it. not just like a like an ex- escape room though. Like no, it's, it's uh, like you're genuinely in the Crystal Maze. Like, uh, yeah. There's a bit where you slide down and you're into the, like the full Aztec zone. Wow, shit! And I went around on a little train car. Oh man, highly recommended. I need to do that. Are there any moments in that album that stand out to you, looking back in it? Detritus is m- maybe my my favourite moment on that. Perfect, because I've, I've got that written down. Yeah, <laughs> I've I've said about power electronics at, at times. Mm-hmm. It's very rarely more brazen than it is at the start of that, because you can imagine seeing experimental noise bands at shows that just harsh noise, doing things like that. But the fact that from that. It literally, I mean, there's there's only maybe a few seconds of a hint that something's coming of the chords mm-hmm. gradually surfacing and then they explode out like the surface of the water and it's it's really euphoric mm. the, the way that song blossoms. I just love the overall feel of like it's, it's sort of mechanical, but then like that's why I think the artwork is so perfect as well. Yeah. It's got this weird inhuman, but it's very biological as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I agree. I think you really hit on some of the artwork for that album. Sometimes mm-hmm. artwork really takes an album just like up a final. It's that little push over the top, and it's like the, the artwork in that one really lends. It's like a big part of it for me, I think. Yeah. yeah, the overall aesthetic yeah. is always important. Now, you followed that record with Strange Colour of Your Body's Tears that you re-soundtracked this really fucking dark Belgian horror film. Yeah, with a, with a bunch of friends of mine, actually. Conk's own packs. Glaswegian? Yeah, yeah, Tom from Glasgow. Roll the Dice. Uh, C. Spencer Yeah mm-hmm. from New York. Um, Moon Gangs, who is a friend of mine who now plays in Beak. Helm, I think I mentioned him already. And Phil Julian. Were you approached about doing this scoring or was this a pitch that you made? By the East End Film Festival, yeah. They got in contact with me. It's, um, a f- it's fucking dark. I mean, I'm guessing they drew on your past... <laughs> They, they 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 originally wanted wanted me to live score something and as much as that is fine i, I don't really see too much merit in that um, why because it then doesn't exist afterwards or i i don't have any i don't necessarily have any problem with that i just i, I, I didn't feel like it was potentially a good a good use of my time yeah yeah <laughs> i was pretty busy right then so i suggested that to do this alternative soundtrack 
and to treat it like a game of consequences, is that what you call it? When somebody draws the head and then they yeah, yeah, fold yeah. it under and then they do the body or whatever. Oh, wow. So everybody had like their own scene in this film and they didn't know what the last person had done. And strangely, I don't know why it was so coherent, but it but it was. I mean, it's a pretty disturbing film, but it's a really well-realised reimagining, I think, of, of the score. Uh-huh. It's, the, the score in the original film isn't particularly remarkable anyway. So that, it, it's I mean, it's good that, fit. you know, they use a lot of Jallo stuff, don't they? And they do. Well, I think they just really draw in a lot of tropes from some of the old Italian things, which, yeah. which is it's fine. But, you know, it, it, it's far more interesting to hear it with a kind of contemporary edge. And some of it is really dark mm-hmm. on that, that soundtrack. Now, you mentioned it already, The Great Confusal, which was an EP, but a, a long EP. Yeah. 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 2015 again, busy year because I mean you've brought out Dumb Flesh, you've done the Strange Color soundtrack. I don't know how you look on that record. I think oh, the Great Confusal is a really, really significant Blank Mass record. It unites, I would say, probably every single facet of what you had done as part of that project up to that point. So you had electro-y, dancey ideas from like the white math kind of time, uh, albeit with, I think, a slightly more sophisticated production. Uh, um, I think you had your disliced vocals coming in. Uh, you had black metal on the second part of it. Mm-hmm. You had this really full-on industrial, anarcho, techno-punk black metal thing happening. Really, really heavy. Uh, and then you also had like the third part of it, which was going back to those kind of stars, the lead influences, the mm-hmm. ambient influences. It really under what's obvious, reasonably long EP, but it, it, it's, it gathers together a hell of a lot of facets. Had you considered that it was going to almost drop on every element of the project? Um, I mean, when you lay it out bare like that, it, it's glaringly apparent that it that it had. But I, I don't think I was trying to incorporate all of these elements in. I, I think it just happened by accident. To be honest. I mean, I'd planned to do something that like kind of moves through like myriad of practices, but the, these are all practices that. I'm still very involved. Maybe I did just try and cram in as much as I possibly could without realising it, I think. I don't think you left much untouched, at least certainly not much untouched that had happened up to that point in, mm-hmm. in the course of that. 
and were you then also maybe freed from the constraints of an album as well? You were just like, well, it's just. Yeah, but I mean, I kind of do that on album on the oh, albums yeah. too, don't I? <laughs> I think, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, it could. Yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily feel um, restricted. Like a, an album, you have a lot more. T- you have a lot more time to play with, obviously. You yeah, know? but it's interesting that when you do an album, I mean, yeah, you've got like a couple of nine minute songs, but then you you usually end up with the four, five, six minute mark. Yes, and then yeah. on an EP, you're like, oh well. Oh, yeah, fuck yeah. It, I might just keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. That's right. Yeah, I think. Um, then twenty seventeen. Uh, well, actually, no, twenty sixteen. As part of the Adult Swim series, you did the D seventy five single, right? Yes. Um, yeah, which yeah, yeah. I think was a step up in terms of the production quality. Mm-hmm. think it's it's a little bit tighter and thicker than stuff like Hellion yeah um, I think the happy major keys of some of the earlier earlier fuck button stuff are now pretty distant mm-hmm. um, and also you see that kind of sliced vocal technique really coming to the fore in that single so it's, yeah. a re- it's, a, it's a really strong track did you ever consider actually including it in a record do you feel it got enough attention you know I one um, whilst I was working on World Eater I did <laughs> Sometimes uh, th- there are certain moments whilst I was whilst I was recording World Eater, I did think you know this would this would have really fit nicely on this, but I think it, you know it, it it made sense to do it at the time, so I don't feel like it, it was lo- it was lost at all. You think you'll ever gather some of these tracks together on a sort of uh, on an EP of like rarities and oddities? Would you even be allowed? I don't know how that works with the various rights. Yeah, I'm I'm sure it would be allowed. I, I do consider it like a know. bonus disc or something like that, just to make sure that they're available because yeah CD2 of the greatest hits yeah yeah, absolutely what are we going to call your greatest hits album yeah. <laughs> yeah we'll have to think about that one um, so <laughs> the idea of a greatest hits album is such a strange concept <laughs> to me anyway uh, 2017 uh, we spoke about World Eater And again, like in terms of the quality of production in World Eater, it's really maximalist at this point. Mm. I mean, you're working pretty high tech now, and given that, kind of to contrast that with where Fuck Button started with the not even deliberately low tech, but unavoidably low tech stuff that you were you were using, is there a part of you? I mean, do you prefer the access to the high tech now, or did you enjoy struggling and wrestling with the low tech? I mean, I still do to a degree. I mean, I've never, you know, I'm. I, I was never taught any of this stuff. I'm always struggling to a to a degree. Do you know what I mean? On this record, uh, Reese's Negatives, another there's really significant like moments in what you're doing. Mm. It's a big, big song in terms of the number of movements inside the song itself. A lot of like really subtle derangement going on in the background of that. Mm. I mean, am I imagining it, or there are a lot of layers of things that are almost deliberately put in there to to unsettle and, and disrupt the melody if the melody is getting too strong. There's a lot in there. That might that might be one of the one of my tracks which has the the most layers. I think. Mm.
like a little Mac beach ball spinning around. There's a lo- yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of blown out stuff going on there. And the black metal vocals as well at yeah. this point feel like a really comfortable part. They've evolved along with it. I mean, yeah. you're now. You, I mean, even it's with the great confusion, the black metal part of it. You're you've clearly laid out that you're not scared to go to like some pretty extreme lengths in these tracks. You're not going to like make electro because people expect you to make electro. You're going to make stuff that's quite saturated. Mm-hmm. You feel pretty free at this point. You can pretty much take these songs in any direction. Even if the song starts sweet, you're like. I'm going to mess this up because it's mine. It's my ball. And yeah, I don't see any shame in it. And I don't, and I, I definitely, I'm definitely not afraid of doing that. Yeah. I mean, it was a risk to some extent, given that Dumb Flesh was so well received. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly some of the more melodic parts were so well received to have the first main song on the follow up album go into a full on black metal assault is, it's uncompromising. You could, you could put it that way. It is. It might, it might have been. A, it could have been a stupid move, but again, I don't. I mean, what, what do I have to lose? You know, fuck it. Yeah, I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, fuck you it. know, what's the worst that could happen? Seriously, <laughs> I, I really don't know what that is. I um, particularly like the way though that at the end of Rhesus Negative, you drop into Please, and Please has got to be one of your most savvy songs. Mm. What were you thinking, Needed Please? Because it is a bit of a non sequitur in terms of the trajectory you were taking. I think it's an important one. I've I've got it down as another inflection point in the sense of how much it opens up potentially in future for you. But where were you at with that? Were you like, I want to make something that actually totally kicks back against some of the more extreme things I've been doing recently? I guess I'd never done any R&B before. Did you feel (laughs) sexy? What were you listening to? You feel sexy? Is that what it was? (laughs) Yeah, you know what? I imagine you doing that, by the way, in a a smoking jacket. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You've not seen the thing up there. You've not seen the smoking jacket. Yeah, I, I, I just, I felt like it was, yeah, I'd never done anything like that before. I, when I started to, I think the first thing that I was working on with that was actually the vocal chop. And it really lent itself towards, it, it, you know, it, it, started to, it started to go in that direction. And it was kind of, it was a little confusing to me that it was going in that direction. And I was like, wow, okay, this is, this is happening then. I just kind of went with it. The approach to it and the structure of it is pretty fascinating. Uh, have you noticed it turning a lot of people onto the blank mass? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there are certain moments, especially seeing as, you know, I still play out live a lot and I, I feel like two moments where I feel like I'm having the most interaction with the crowd is dead format and please, big so, reaction, yeah. 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 I actually think I can sort of sister track to that. To some extent, silent treatment, which mm-hmm. comes in at number five. Even though it starts with that big euphoric choral thing, um, it settles down into something that's really quite sexy, mm-hmm. really quite vibey.
on that record. I mean, it's only, it's only about seven seven tracks. Yeah, is that right? Mm-hmm. But it touches a lot of different places, you know. And well, something like Silent Treatment has a different movements within yeah. the track itself. You know, there's the kind of you know there's a, a whirlwind kind of aspect when it first starts out, and then it goes very you know chopped and screwed style mm-hmm. R and B. I've sort of skipped by as well. The one obvious one to mention was the rat. You want to tell us a bit about the video? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually went on a family holiday with my wife and her family, and uh, they love Disney. I got dragged to Euro Disney, <laughs> so I thought I'd make the 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 best of uh, a bad situation. <laughs> um, what is that like? We World? What's it called? It's 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 called We World. <laughs> it's a small world, but yeah, <laughs> it's a We World. <laughs> don't don't be racist, then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's not really any secret that you're working on a new record And we're not going to say much about a new record Because I'm sure you have all of that under wraps of your management But it's a hell of a lot of stuff you've done up to this point mm-hmm. It's a, a hell of a lot of actual just discography You're still quite a young man And there's a, a lot of stuff ahead of you You've been doing a lot of production as well Yeah. Um, there are any highlights of production stuff? I know Mark isn't here But he's just been spamming our group message with Please ask him about John Carpenter Right, yeah. <laughs> um, you remixed John Carpenter? I did, yeah. Yeah, I remixed um, one of the tracks from his uh, Lost Themes record. Which came out on the, the same label as me, which is... The, the, I. I I believe the first original music that he'd written for, I don't know how long, yeah, what, like yeah, 20, yeah. how long? Since what, what, what was the last film that he wrote a score for? It was, yeah, mid 90s, I think. Right, wow. So, yeah, so there you go, yeah. Who else, were there any any other highlights or particularly interesting projects you've worked on? Um, you've you've done some mixing and you've done some a bunch of remixing and, uh, as well as production, haven't you? So. Yeah, I just, I, I just. Um, there was an editor thinking about this week, is that right? That's right. Yeah. So I produced their album, which came out last year. They actually got somebody else in. To come and clean up, clean up my mess. I guess I <laughs> <laughs> left up their record in the first instance. Um, Leo Abrams, um, who's done stuff with Brian Eno, he was uh, he was on cleanup duty, um, but the band were were really keen of the original early mixes uh, production work that I'd done for the album, and they've actually just released that as well. <laughs> Did they not so, have a, like, I mean, in order to do that live, though, would it not take a hell of a lot of retrofitting of their live set to try and do justice to your mix of their album? Well, I think that's why <laughs> they brought Leo in to kind of, like, bring it back to a more kind of recognisable form, I guess, so they could recreate it live, because, you know, they're a live band, they, they you know, they're, they're, they're a big band, so they... um so I think they needed to kind of like, you know, focus focus on that and make sure that you know I hadn't completely destroyed it for them. But uh, Jean Michel Jarre, did you do some stuff with him? That was a 
a track that um, we co-wrote with him as Fuck Buttons on his last album, Electronica, yeah. got in contact and it was a collaborative album you know he had a, a list of collaborators that he wanted to work with and we, we were on the list I thought it was a joke when I first got the email <laughs> John michel Jarrow is one of the albums that my dad used to play to me to get me to sleep when I was like three years old do you remember he used to do a concert in front of the Eiffel Tower was it every year or oh yeah like I remember yeah. my parents made me watch that when I was a kid yeah. Who else? Black Midi? You've just remixed for them. And to be honest, it just sounds like a Blank Mass track. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really good Blank Mass track. Yeah. And you know, just keep it. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a... Uh, I've done a lot of remixes. I've done Mogwai and Moby and Placebo and yeah, but production work is it's a little it's a little more rewarding to me. I think yeah. to actually be able to step into somebody else's area and you, you know you have to be a little bit more sympathetic. You know, as um, as was apparent maybe with the with the editor stuff, but they you know who knows maybe maybe I'll get asked to do it do it again. I hope so. They're 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 an interesting band to to work with because they they sent me all of the demos and they gave me complete free reign, which I was really surprised about. You have to be a lot more sympathetic to space when there's the space within sounds when there's like this vocal element, which is mm. supposed to be like the most prominent feature there. Um, so I learned a lot there. Yeah, and Mark's a, a huge Manic Street Preachers fan. Have you done, oh, you've done some of them, haven't you? I did a Manic Street Preachers remix as fuck buttons that like a long time ago now. Any absolute howlers that you've done? I mean, come on, they're not listening as well. Remixes? Any, any that you're like, oh, fuck. Wish you could take that one back. No, not really. Not what? that I can think of. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> give me a, give me a minute. Maybe I'll think of one. Even in those, like, foggy London days, you're like, <laughs> there wasn't something you agreed to. You're like, oh, God. No. The only thing that I, can re that I really, really regret to doing was playing a silent disco. <laughs> I, um, was that a festival? Yeah, it was a it was a Reading festival. F somehow, fuck buttons got fucking strong arm to doing this fucking silent disco. It was the most embarrassing moment of my <laughs> career. I think it's terrible. I DJ'd a terrible. silent disco once at Belladrum Festival, and it's actually the highlight of my career. So, really? Yeah. But I mean, okay. we're coming at it different from priorities. Different yeah, priorities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, when there's a band that's like so, yeah, no, that must like, be weird. Volume is such a like a 
key component. Yeah, that's very odd. I don't, Actually, know how, I don't know how I got my fucking arm twisted into that. I feel like such a dickhead. <laughs> and I, thought, I always thought, like, the whole joy of silent disco was, like, you could take off the headphone and then you hear people singing along. And you go, oh, that's funny. Yeah, but you want to so know... So how the fuck are they going to sing along? <laughs> do you know what, Do you want to know the funny thing about that is as well, though? It, it's, it's at the time when I was still using the floor tom as uh-huh. well. So I was playing the floor tom. Like, all of the electronic... Everything was going through the through the desk or whatever. All of the instrumentation you could hear on the headphones, but if you were just to take the headphones off, you'd just see this oh. fucking arsehole just playing like a floor tom. No other sounds. Imagine if you didn't know that there was a silent disco going on and the live show was just one dude. Oh my God, God, what is this? How many yeah. thousand people watching one yeah. guy play a drum yeah. every eight minutes? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, this is wicked. God, this is so good. Hey, do you think there's, I mean, do you, it, it seems to lend itself to, do you see a bit of a future in the soundtrack and score and that kind of thing? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's, um, there's, there's, that's, that's on the cards for sure. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Something in the often. Yeah. All right. Look forward yeah. to it. I mean, it does seem an obvious direction given, I mean, I said it was Stalker, the track, but I mean, with so much of it, it does seem like something. In fact, to be honest, I'm really surprised that more of the music hasn't appeared or been invited to appear in different soundtracks and scores. Yeah, who knows what that is? I mean, it's a, it's a highly competitive area, isn't it? You know, of course. but you know, I, it, it's definitely something that I've had in my sights for a long time. If you could rescore any movie, what film would you choose? Oh wow! Okay, no warning. No, <laughs> or television program. Or television program. Not EastEnders, because Ben has <laughs> a strange and unnerving fascination with Ian Beale. He has a portrait of Ian Beale on his wall and regularly posts pictures of Ian Beale. He is a character. You've kind of made me feel like I want to say EastEnders now. <laughs> I feel like the, uh, the 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 theme music to EastEnders is way too misleading. <laughs> Regarding the actual subject matter there I mean that's some of the like Most horrific I haven't seen it in so Like I haven't seen it since I was maybe 15 years old But You know what's going on it, Yeah it's yeah. notorious for being horrible right I need to be soundtracking that you know I, Yeah Somebody needs to I think it would like, be fitting It's too misleading that soundtrack <laughs> Yeah uh, Before we, we break And then recommence with your, your choices Aside from the music You're, you're quite vocal uh, You've done stuff with Peter. Mm-hmm. And much like David here, you're an avowed vegan, as is your lady wife. Mm-hmm. Tell us about it. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Tell me what it's like. Well, you just, <laughs> well, why, yeah. Tell me what it's like. Tell me what it's like. Is this why you're so angry? What about bacon? What about bacon? <laughs> Do you what you're asking, would you be writing the music you're writing if you could eat cheese? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I have no basis oh, for comparison, for do I? I mean, haven't eaten cheese for such a long time. How can I answer that fucking question? <laughs> when was the last time you ate cheese? Well, that's an actual question that's asked. <laughs> Knowingly. Have you, ever, have you ever been asked this in an interview before? I've not been asked that. Oh, perfect. When was the it. last time you ate cheese? <laughs> don't answer it. Chris, we've already established that I don't remember what half of my fucking songs are called. <laughs> <laughs> Touché. Yeah. Just the one last thing I want to ask about is it's so it does really fascinate me what what what, what it must be like touring along going considerable distances around the world for weeks mm-hmm. and weeks at a time. How do you find that? Are, are you good in your own company? I am pretty good in my own company actually. It's it's a little bit of a misconception when I'm when I'm touring a um 
an album and not just out for random festivals, you know, every two or three weeks. I do actually bring a friend out with me, Dan Toombs, who does live analog, digital, the video stuff for me. Um, And he's great. Um, But yeah, of course, you know, just, uh, you know, you spend a lot of time in airports. (laughs) You kind of get into your own routine, actually. and, And it's... I'm kind of a creature of habit, so once you've once you've got the system sorted out in your head, it's as long as you don't kind of like steer too far away from it, it's it, it's all right actually. Yeah, it's weird because there's you know we did the black metal episode, and during that we 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 talked about one man black metal, oh. and even even sonically you you have a lot more in common with that than even some other metal bands have mm. with that. You are doing the solo studio time. You live. Not entirely in the countryside, but quite, mm. you know, fairly, fairly rural. Um, you're touring alone, you're working alone a lot of the time, um, even though you don't live alone. But it must, it, do you think it's a coincidence that the music ends up being so dark at points and so introspective? I don't think it's a coincidence, but I also think I'm, I, I, I definitely have that in me anyway. <laughs> you know, no matter where I, no matter where I am, I just, I just feel like... If you were in the polyphonic spree, you'd still be the goth one. <laughs> the one in black. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I won't be in the fucking polyphonic spree, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah. All right, Ben. Well, thanks very much, man. Right. Um, we'll take a little break, uh, have some pizza, and we will be back to talk about your nominations. Lovely. <laughs> 